You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Break It Down Podcast back again. I want to thank you all. Uh, it's special. Today's special because you may be hearing this for the first time. And welcome if you are on Adobe Radio Live. I'm premiering my episodes on Adobe. And I'm very thankful to potentially have some new audience there. So welcome, everybody. Uh, this show will be on live premiering at 7 o'clock Eastern time every Thursday night on Adobe. So go to adobe.com. Catch that live premiere next week. And if you're joining me in podcast land, that is great too. And if you're in podcast land, you'll know who my guest is today. It's James Paul Wisner, uh, producer from many, many great bands. Some, some One of my favorite producers out there. And if you're in radio land, well, now you know. You're caught up too. All right. I love having good sponsors like this. It really is a treat. So here we go. This episode is brought to you by Kings Road Merch and the official Jimmy Eat World online store. Awesome. So Kings Road and Jimmy Eat World, uh, here's what they've done. They've brought back the entire catalog of recut colored vinyl for all the Jimmy Eat World stuff. They got Static Prevails, there's Clarity, which is my favorite, uh, Bleed American, Futures, and Chase the Light, along with the EP, Stay on My Side Tonight. That's all on, and that one, the EP, that's the very first time it's ever been on vinyl. So quite special, quite cool indeed. Some of these are close to selling out, so you really should go get these. If you're into vinyl, if you're into Jimmy Eat World, it's kind of a no-brainer. So head to kingsroadmerch.com slash jimmy for this. And they got a bunch of other cool stuff too there. So kingsroadmerch.com slash Jimmy. All right. So last thing I'll tell you is go to my website if you're new. Uh, there's a bunch of good stuff over there. There's a video of the episode I did last week that's doing really well. And that is the one where I had the promoter from the festival where the where Emory didn't get paid. So there's a, I had the actual promoter on the show. And had a good conversation with him and tried to see his point of view on how you can go bust on a big festival that has Emory and Devil Wears Prada and the Deftones on it and what happens when you don't have enough money to pay the bands. And that's at breakitdownpod.com. Also, go over there, find your way to iTunes, and if you're into podcasts at all, subscribe to this one. Do it on the iTunes app. Get it so it comes to your phone every time. I'll put it this way. If you're listening on Adobe Radio, why don't you go get into this podcast, catch all the back episodes and the future ones um, on the podcast feed. And if you're a podcast person, well, maybe check us out on Adobe Live next week on Thursday at 7 p.m. in the Jabberjaw Media Block. Another Jabberjaw show is over there, too, and that's Modern Vinyl, and that's at 5 o'clock. So anyway, see you guys there next week. One more ad real quick here, and we'll have James Paul Wisner. I have some tremendous good news for everybody, and that is that SoundRank.com, which is an experience company, is bringing you 
exclusive VIP upgrades for, guess what, the Taste of Chaos Tour. Now, if you hadn't been paying attention, the Taste of Chaos Tour has Dashboard Confessional, Taking Back Sunday, Seosin with Anthony Green, and the early November. There's a full U.S. tour. It's going to go in everywhere starting June 3rd, and then it ends in San Bernardino with this like crazy uh, festival version of the tour, and that's going to be on July 16th. There's a bunch of other acts, awesome stuff, including Reggie and the Full Effect, I think, is going to be on that one. So go to jabberjaw.soundrink.com and use this coupon code BREAK to get $5 off any VIP upgrade. So you should go, you should get the VIP. They've got some really good deals, and you're going to get $5 off, which I'm sure this tour and the VIP is going to be a blast. So don't forget, use the coupon code BREAK, $5 off your VIP upgrade. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Let's make Yeah. Well, James, thank you for joining me on the show today. You're welcome. I know you and I don't really know each other, but that's okay. That's what this is for. I do a lot of podcasts with people that I, I know, but you're somebody that's recorded some of my favorite records ever, and so I lament the fact that we haven't, or at least haven't yet, gotten the chance to, to work together. Okay, awesome. Thank you. It's just, you know, you're all the way down there in Florida, and Emery's from up here in Seattle, and so it just seemed like a long drive. When we, first, when we made our first record, um, we did it with Ed Rose in Kansas, and we thought that was about as far as we could drive to make our first album but oh you, yeah yeah were you considering me or yeah what? absolutely i mean that's oh, you know you and ed rose and i think I, you know honestly i believe it's probably you and ed rose and aaron sprinkle were probably the people that we thought were really awesome in 2003 okay got kind it. of a thing and so it just worked out that we wound up we went to do the thing with ed rose then and then we did the next record with sprinkle and i live in seattle and i've worked with sprinkle ever since then so i've engineered and worked with him for like several years after that and he's done a few of our records okay. and i've done the rest of ours during that time but uh okay, i think it was and you know what it was it was uh gatsby's drove down there right the same time we were making our first records when they were oh, making okay yeah, yeah. And sugar so that was that, that yeah. was the first thing i mean we knew some of the stuff you'd done before that but that was the time when we were making our record and those guys had just gotten back and they were in the same local scene as us at the time so it was in, in fact, the local scene in Seattle, the bands that came out of there right around that time was Emory and Acceptance and Gatsby's American Dream. We all were playing oh, okay, got it. local shows at the same time. Do you remember that Gatsby's record very well? Oh, I very much remember it. Yeah. I don't know if everybody's super familiar with them or even that record, but that one's Ribbons and Sugar, and that's totally my favorite one. What do you remember about doing that one? Well, I remember the way we recorded, which uh, it was one of the records that I processed every track through my Atari half-inch tape machine. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I was going for a certain vibe. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of Brendan O'Brien. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, was trying to get that tape type of vibe. And, and so we did it with that. Tape. Yeah, That's not yeah. what most people mean when they say to tape. It's usually two-inch tape, a big machine is what people would be referring to. So Yeah, yeah. So it was a half-inch two-track uh, machine. And, uh, and I just went for one of those and kind of used it like a big effects box. You know, I would record the track, 
uh, uh, the tracks, mm-hmm. and then I would start running each track through. So you would track onto tape and then dump it to Pro Tools? No, no, no. I'd go into uh, into Pro Tools first, uh-huh. and, and then I would process. Oh, I through. see. Yeah, and, and I probably ran it through some, you know, analog compression or you know, just something to. Because I've always kind of loathed the uh, recording in the box, you know, plugins, uh, at least back then. So when did I mean? What did you start on that you moved? When did you move to in the box and digital and computers and all that? Then did you, well, I never really came. You were from recording the before I imagine before you were on Pro Tools, whatever. Yeah, I mean, not that far behind though. So when I got into it and and really took it on, I mean. Back when I was, uh, you know, a teenager, early twenties, a little experience with tape, but then kind of came in when the ADATs were going. Oh, Do you remember yeah, the ADAT, right. the A-Track VHS? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw that the computers were starting to do multi-track and Logic, uh, eMagic Logic was yep. a software, and they had like four tracks, and that was like a real big deal. And uh, you know, you could do a little bit of pitch correction and. Um, so then I started combining the two, and I even had this Akai four-track hard disk recorder, mm-hmm. and that was syncing with the ADATs and you know stuff I was, like that. I did some hard disk stuff like on Roland eight-track, is where I first stuff I was doing in college and stuff like that it was on those Roland VS stations. The VS eight eighty, yeah, VS eight eighty, yeah, it was eight forty okay. and eight eighty is what I used to use. Right, yeah, I tried doing a few albums on that, and uh, and it had like sixty-four virtual tracks and. Yeah. You could bounce things around. That's and, right. Yeah. Oh, that is really funny. But so those Gatsby's guys, and I think they had a, a – is it right? I don't know if you remember this or not, but I believe they had a car accident coming home. They crashed their van on the way home from your place is what I remember. No, that I don't remember. Yeah, I think they, uh-huh. they hit, hit, had something hit ice on the way back. I think it was – was it wintertime? Was it not? Spring, wintertime? You won't I, I that, don't. Right? Yeah, I don't. But that's cool. The um, I heard you on another show uh, recently, and there's a couple of things that stood out to me on that. But uh, I heard you started doing vocal lessons recently. Oh, I that did. might have been a little while ago when I heard it. But well, I I did, and then I've kind of had to stop with everything that's that's been going on, uh, and then uh, and so I want to pick them back up. Uh, but yeah, well, cool. well hang I'd, on. I'd love I mean, to do it, but. Well, I want to talk about that, but what what is it? What do you mean things is going on? I'm sorry, I might be out of the loop on something, but what do you mean when you say everything's been going on? Well, my mother is teaching me, and she's been a a, a vocal teacher mm-hmm. for a long time, and and actually she's been uh, a little bit sick. Oh, I'm really sorry uh, to hear that. Uh, uh, that's okay. She's doing better now, so we want to pick that up. And and then I've I've been busy uh, doing stuff, so um, it's kind of hard to 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 do everything that I'm was trying to do. Well. Interesting you say it that way, though, because that's not the way most people think of singing. And I think what struck me is that you would, somebody that's an accomplished musician with a career that clearly has an ear, that clearly knows how to play music, arrange music, and literally is like a a doctor working on people's vocals all day for a career, that you would take the singing so late and take it seriously enough to where you actually have to note that you've stopped temporarily, aren't working as hard on it as well, you, know, you should. It, it, when most yeah. people think of vocals as just this super pure thing, either you got it or you don't. So that's, that's what I'm really interested in there. Yeah, you know what? The thing with vocal lessons with me, like I can carry a tune. I know what's going on technique-wise. I can work with a singer. Mm-hmm. But me personally, uh, assimilating the technique, for whatever reason, it's been this big freaking ordeal that's been the most frustrating thing well did you not grow and, up uh, singing even 
or anything? Um, yeah, but incorrectly. Mm-hmm. And and just the thing of, you know, I would love just to be able to open my mouth and sing and just let it happen. And, you know, so I can sing, but I've brushed a few times where I've done it correctly and it's a much different voice. You know, I have potentially a really good voice. Uh, and like I say, I can sing now, but yeah, it's, it's actually been quite a challenge for me. So, well, most people don't think of it that way because here's, there's a big gap there. Cause I don't, I'm, I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, but for most people, just everybody I know that can sing well, they just go, I don't know. You just got it or you don't is what they say. And I really don't buy that. I think you can learn to do stuff. But the, the thing is people that at an early age got a ton of encouragement and maybe had some natural talent, maybe it's always been natural to them. I can see that. Uh, because they thought when they were three <clears throat> singing and people told them they were good, they go, yeah, I know I'm good. But maybe they weren't even that good, but they were told that they were good. So they continued to sing, well, continued you know, to be there's... encouraged. And then it feels like it always was natural, but they weren't always good at it. I think even those people learned. And of course, it's er- er- easier to learn when you're young. But I don't, I don't buy that, that you can't learn something later. Yeah. You know, when I'm talking about learning, I'm talking about doing it in a way where mm-hmm. – uh, it's not putting pressure on your throat. Like there's a lot of guys who have been great singers and then their voices slowly blow out over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, then there's a guy like Mick Jagger where my understanding of him is he was doing his thing. And then at a certain point he took on vocal lessons and that's why he's able to keep singing mm-hmm. in his seventies where a guy like Paul McCartney, you can really hear the wear and tear, mm-hmm. uh, on his voice because he never really took that on. So I think the thing that I'm, uh, distinguishing is the the technical part mm-hmm. and really supporting from the diaphragm and there's a lot of guys and maybe that's the the case for you where it just happens naturally. Oh, it's not the case for me. I can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. I uh, well, you know, two years ago, three years ago now, I decided to learn how to sing. So I've been in music my whole life. I've, I mean, I produce records and record and tune and do the vocals for our records and feel like I've understood it my whole life, but I've just never really done it or felt like I was always uncomfortable with my own voice and thus never really put any time into it to it or I was never like ooh, listen to me I've never fallen in love with the sound of my own voice I've always been aware of well this isn't very good or you know I just don't have the the amount of hours it takes to have really good control so when I hear myself sing I hear myself sing poorly and out of tune like mm, I'm very critical okay. of the way that I sing so right, I took right. to learning it too uh, and I just think of it like this I think yeah of course there's some natural people but you know, I could be like maybe the Tim Tebow of singing or something, you know, I can well, learn I, to do it and just, be, you know, I'll never have that beautiful throw or anything like that, but I can get it to where I can actually do singing or sing from, for some people. But I was in Emory for 10 years. We had two really good singers for 10 plus years. I was like, well, I don't need to sing. We've got two good singers. And then right. I kicked myself because I could have been in that microphone every night on stage singing for crowds and getting used to, you know, getting really getting used to it and learning how to do it. Cause that's really what it takes is just the hours and the experience kind of thing to really refine it. Like every singer's better 10 years later. And I could have been putting myself up there doing backups a little bit poorly and then maybe been decent at it. So I had to take to doing it the same way you did I did DVD courses of lessons and just learned all the different parts of the voice and how to use it and where, where it flips to head voice and how to try to blend them. And it's very cerebral for me, but not natural whatsoever. Got it. Got it. Well, uh, yeah. Like I say, I mean, I can open my mouth and sing and carry a tune, uh, but, you know, it, it'll be kind of tense and it's not, there's a potential there. And, and when I work the technique aspect of it, 
then my voice really opens up. But unfortunately, I have to really work. Well, what's the what's the reason you want to do that later in life? Do you have a goal for singing, like put out a record? Yeah, I do, because all all my life, uh, while I've been producing other bands, I have my own music. Mm -hmm. And it's just something that I, you know, uh, at this point in my life, because of the skill set that I've built up with being able to program virtual instruments and all these different types of things, and I've got ongoingly i'm always throwing down rough ideas mm-hmm. and uh and it's something that i'd like to complete i'd like to create an album do you, you, know? do you have any interest in performing or more just to record it and put it out just more just actually just more just recording it just to do something and just hear what you know my particular thing is mm-hmm. so well i, I uh, commend that that attitude very much to, to get to get with it and keep doing it and never stop learning and doing stuff later in life. I'm not saying you're an old guy or nothing, but it's yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it's just something I want to do. And so, yeah. Well, that's good. Do you think you're going to continue to produce as you think you're a lifer at production and recording? Um, yeah. I mean, in, in one way or another, I mean, I've more lately been getting into mixing, Mm -hmm. you know, which I love mixing. Um, and, and I love producing and I, you know, if there was some way of being able to take my musical ability and, you know, create something, whether it's instrumental stuff or, or, or songs and be able to make some sort of, uh, you know, money with that, then that would be great. Both of your parents so, are, are music people for, for life, but do you think you'd be in music for life basically? Oh, absolutely. And you've That's, always it, known that? Um, yes. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, from about when I was eleven, when I uh, when I discovered the the Beatles, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I and I did grow up in a musical family, and my my father, uh, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, uh, was was quite a successful producer, and worked with a lot of amazing people, and uh, yeah, that was just his life. So I I just kind of grew up in that, and, and at a certain point, it really hit me, and I was like, you know what, this is this is what I'm doing. That's pretty cool, dude. You know, I was talked to a couple of other guys recently. Ed Rose was one, and Mark Trombino, who now he makes donuts and didn't really record in records anymore. And uh, oh, really, yeah, okay. And Ed Rose bought a restaurant at one point and stopped, and it basically isn't recording records now either. So if I look at the three of you guys as the people that I was into and listening to, or would have wanted to work, you know, just people that were around when I was first getting into this stuff and and listening to their stuff, or people that I call the producers that I really enjoy, two of them kind of got out of it and went into doing restaurants and food service stuff. Yeah, that's a trip. <laughs> How does that uh, strike that, you? Yeah, that's wild. No, I won't be making donuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, the, the, I think the main overall thing is that for me is like, this is pretty much what I can do. Yeah. And, and, uh, and stuff just shows up enough to, to keep me going. Uh, and, and so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they, a lot of people, including them or and me, I, I cite the, you know, what's happened with the industry and money and budgets. Has that not been a crunch on you? Oh, absolutely, it has. But yeah. it wouldn't. I mean, you're 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 determined to figure it out. Uh, yeah, I, I. Or you would do uh, it for less money in, in ten years from now. You'd be content to continue to do it even for less money if you could make it happen anyway. There's there's got to be a way. I guess it depends on, you know, the thing is, is that I got into the business in such a non-usual way Mm -hmm. 
and to me, it's just like there's there's just been this whole thing going on in terms of whatever I've been doing. Um, how do I put it? It's just that if I'm focused on it and I'm staying, the overall thing for me is that if I'm focused on it and it's my passion mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about it in a positive sense, and that's kind of the key thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not dwelling on what's happening with the industry and all the, all these things that were, there were all kinds of reasons when I got into it, you know, however I got into it was almost a miracle. So, uh, are you so saying it's, it's, that if, if you are interested in doing something enough, uh, I, I think I almost know what you're saying because let me see if I identify with that correctly. I, there's a lot of things I, I do a lot of a bunch of different stuff from podcasting and music business stuff to recording to putting out my own music. So I, I make money from a bunch of different things, but I'm every single day. I'm usually doing whatever it is that I'm the most excited about, like the thing that I'm driven the most to care about or research or figure out. And it's yeah. v- very often not the thing where that's the, the, it's not usually up the money pipeline. Like right now, I've spend, I'm spending a ton of time trying to figure out how to get my camera hooked up good to some free software and figure out how to do lighting so that I could stream this podcast on YouTube for free live. And I don't think that's going to be worth any money. But right, I, I can't right. stop trying to figure that out. And so in the long run, I think that will pay off, but not for any particular reason other than that's what I'm determined to do right now. And so yeah. that's kind of reminds me of what you're saying. Is that what we're Well, you're yes and no, because at this point I do have to be more conscious mm-hmm. of that it is going to be something that can also generate money, you know, because there it, it is a business. But I I definitely took things on when I decided to, to get into it. I had a certain mindset and a focus and then things happened and they've kind of, it's kind of been like that. Well, do sometimes you have to take uh, records that you're not interested in for money? Uh, it, it's not been at a point where it's like, I'm not interested in it, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's been, you know, peaks and valleys. Is there, you stuff, you have to, is there stuff you will turn down even though it's, that is paying that you don't like? If I, I have to really connect with it because the thing, you know, and you know this too, it's like if you're doing something at a certain point when you're doing something day by, you know, day after day, there's not enough money that you get paid for if you're hating it. Right. And the toll that it takes is not, yeah, you just, and I just can't do that. That is true. You know, it's like I have to wake up and be like, all right, let's do this. Yeah, you so, need exponentially more. Like, there's nothing wrong if somebody paid, said they were going to pay you a hundred grand to, to work on some rich guy's fantasy record. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you're, you could just say, hey, they want me to do it, I'd do it. But they would have to pay. It had to be exponential money to 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 lower to to have to put that kind of stuff into something that you you dislike or you think is a joke or not good. You know, it is it's twice it's more than twice as hard. I mean, double the money to work on a terrible band is still a bad deal. Oh, it's you know really, what I mean? yeah that that yeah. I do it for I, a million and bucks and I work I on that, a local yeah, band but, over whatever, but I'd rather do a band I like that is uh, for you know bare bones money. Yeah. I have to, yeah, I do. I have to feel like I'm connecting with it. To do a good job though. Yeah. And that's the thing because that's what kind of, that's what's driving me and that's what keeps things going. Cause if I kind of break that and I'm really doing things for different reasons than, than how I got into it and, and yes, things have changed and there is an up and down to things. Um, but 
yeah, I still have to hold to that, to this internal thing about it, and I have to love it. What about if you get into a record halfway through and you figure out it's, you're not getting along with the people? Does that happen? Or you're not into it as you thought? Some records are a grind. Yes, yes. There. I mean, it, it's never been where it's like, um, you know, fortunately, uh, there, there's never been a thing where, because usually I'll know, well, I will know before I even take it on. Now, there have been situations where, you know, in the process where it's like, okay, this isn't what I thought it would be. Uh-huh. Um, but then I'm really kind of looking at the bigger picture of what am I doing with the band? And, and I have a big underlying commitment of that. I want to create something with them that they're really connecting with. So no, I don't always get to have my way about it. I, you know, there's different produce, different producers have different mindsets about how they take projects on and how they're working with the band. And for me, it, it's very important that the band is feeling connected to the ideas. Right. And so we find a way, you know. Do you get uh, a bunch of, do you get a, most of your work is referrals from projects you've done? You get that a lot? Um, it's not necessarily referrals. It'll be that uh, they'll know of other work that I've yeah, done. Yeah, that's what I mean. Referrals yeah. is the wrong word for that. Yes. But, so I, I want, I'm guessing like... I guess for me, I would say hearing the moon is down, further seems forever record is is probably what made me know your name at least the first time. Uh, is that one that people drives a bunch of work your way over the years? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know how much so much anymore. Yeah, to me, know? it's like that's like the one of the most you know important records. I wonder how does that if if that feels or notice that way from your point of view, or is that just narrow for me as a fan? No, that has had a real big, there's, mm-hmm. there's a few albums that I've been super fortunate to have done that, uh, had a real big impact, uh, on, on the scene, uh, or, or just the, which, which was a big driving intention for me. That's kind of my, an underlying intention. I want to make music that moves people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to work with projects that are, that are, it's not even like we're going to change the world with our music, but right. it's just that, uh, it just, we're trying to create something that that really connects with people. Well, let's talk about that record specifically, just for a little sure. bit, being that it's one of my favorites. And awesome. that was one of the first things you did professionally. Not necessarily the first things I did. It was more the first thing I I really um, spent a good deal of time on, where it was like, okay, I'm going to put everything I've got mm-hmm. into making this thing the best that I can How make long it. Did it. Take to make that one. I spent three months on it. Wow. With the band for three months? Not the band. I mean, the band I probably spent, um, I, you know, I can't say that I really know for sure, but may, it, probably over a two-month period and not like we were together every day. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it was me listening to stuff like Mark Trombino and stuff that was recorded on an SSL through mm-hmm. tape. And sitting with my present state of digital technology and suffering over why can't I get this to sound? It, that, like, but that was like a, what two thousand or two thousand one. It was when digital yeah. didn't sound too good. Well, digital. Well, the thing I had just gotten. It started out with the uh, with the dashboard stuff. The uh, places you come to fear the most. I had gotten this. Uh, digital console called a Yamaha O2R. Mm-hmm. And that was like a big, a big step in the consumer market where you could have something at home 
and I realized that it was a big step up as far as quality, at least digitally. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that that digital progressed somewhat out right. because the thing I had before that was the Roland BS eight eighty. Okay, so the, so the 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 Yamaha was a big step up, but at the same time, it still fell very short of your SSL, you know, big console uh, or a Neve console going through, you know, a great tape machine kind of thing. Well, look, I'm gonna I'll play this a little bit, but this doesn't sound to me. I mean, I, I, my memory could just maybe my nostalgia of it, but to me, digital isn't the word I think of here. Um, sounds quite natural to me. Well, thank you, thank you. Were you doing a lot of editing and stuff then? It was hard to do editing, probably that. There wasn't a- well, no, because I was working with ADAS, but I was also, mm-hmm. I think. With digital, uh, I was working with a DAW. Yeah, um, and the thing about that record is, um, yes, it sounds natural, um, but I like hand replaced every drum. Uh, you know, just lining up and and just doing it by, you know, and just trying to think of anything because also I was dealing with my level of engineering competence. Uh huh which at the time was, was uh, you know, I didn't really come up being schooled or whatever. I just kind of threw myself in it. And, uh, and that was my weakest area, was my engineering skill. And so maybe that's why it took three months, not because you, you weren't good at it, but because you were doing hand replacing of every, every drum and doing everything in that way, that slow, overly paying attention way to it because it was, you know... I- yeah, I was just trying to do anything I could. I had a vision in my head, and of course, what I'm doing is falling incredibly short. Well, that's a good place keep, to be if you have yes, the three months that, of this. But right. they, you know, it's not like I mean, obviously, I think people know this, but you couldn't pull up a plug in and drop a sample in to do the replacement. So I think there's something about it to me. Uh, I'm not surprised. I'm kind of surprised to hear that because it sounds very natural, even the thing. So the fact that you're doing it by hand probably adds a whole lot of uh, a less a lot less of a mechanical sound that you're probably putting in different samples and velocities all the way through you know with you know, your the ear other, versus just dropping in a mechanical sample exactly well the thing with that record too i think uh which really gives it the feel is that we didn't do it to a click track okay you know and yep, that Steve, helps a lot too yeah and 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 so tracking was pretty tedious because there was no pasting mm-hmm. you know you couldn't say okay the guitars are cool let's just paste that on the chorus or Anything like that. That might be one of the reasons it really stands up is no click. I I think that's very cool. You know, I think that's definitely, you know, put some other element to it that is there's too much perfection and starting with tell me about it. You know, that's about when everything started to become less alive. So you sound you're a little bit. If you were the first people using click and the first person people doing this when it was new, that's great. But if you're the at, at some point, you just keep raising this bar until it's outside of anything natural sounding so. and it is that's how things are today it, it's at a level of of uh of perfection that's you know uh and that's almost the fight how do you keep it natural mm-hmm. if possible but we're the even the genre the way it is it's built around pro tools in this mm-hmm. heavily edited type of thing you know but back doing those records and you had played a little bit before of uh the band 238 those were both records that weren't done to a click mm-hmm. and particularly with further seems forever with steve uh Kleiseth, the the drummer 
he has this great feel, you know, mm-hmm. and he just has a very, very unique to him. Do you know what's so crazy about of, that is he, I thought he was one of my favorite drummers until I saw his lift handed ass play live and I couldn't take it. <laughs> <laughs> I was still forever. It's like, this is, I mean, this is the, my, one of my favorite drummers. I can't, finally got to see him at some point and I was just, it blew my mind. I was so devastated by watching a left hand <laughs> drummer play. I, yeah. could, I don't, I don't like him anymore. <laughs> oh, that's funny. No, I don't not like him, but I didn't enjoy yeah. watching. And watching drummers is like when you first get into music and you're seeing bands playing stuff like that. To be able to watch the drummer and learn is such a, a good. It's just something about so satisfying to hear drums and then get to see them and stuff like that. And I was so off put by the left handed. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, that's like when I saw the guy for Sayasin. Uh, I don't know his name, but but I was so impressed uh, with with just his feel and just watching him play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he's definitely got – I mean, maybe being different or left-handed or different-brained may, maybe is part of or works. I don't know if there's anything possible there, but maybe could work to his oh, advantage. Exactly there's got to be something that. in the brain wiring that's different about a left-handed person. Maybe that yeah. contributes. Well, Steve's playing, uh, you know, and since you know that record, uh, yeah, it's very unique. Steve is incredibly unique, and everybody was incredibly unique in that band. And, and uh, so it was, uh, you know, more than a – a privilege to work with those guys well is it i mean so the reason i like that so much that band so much is because it's uh and this has been one of the main things i've used as a premise for music it's uh outrageously complex and at the same time it, or it's really technical but at the same time very easy to follow so that's super simple formula that i think should work i think it works in literature and movies or and all kinds of music is to have some complexity there, but not, but it's opposite of just being virtuosic or show offy kind of thing. So that record is so technical and time signatures and feels and all those things. And then it's unbelievably tied together where all you got to do is follow the vocal melody and you are just safe as can be as a listener and just totally hooked in that way. So that's the, I think that's why that, that's what's so special about it from my point of view. Yeah, I would agree with you. And, and I think part of it is the way that the records were written. Mm-hmm. Uh, all three of the records were done where the music was all completed first. And then mm-hmm. the, the singer had to write, which you should, you know, if you just listen to the music with no yeah. words, and go, okay, write a song to this music. Exactly. And you'd be like, what are you even going to think up? You know, so Chris, I mean, it's so brilliant what he did and then uh, uh jason also yeah uh on the on the second record because it was the it was the same situation so yeah there's there's something about in that way but so i was you know to me i was wondering what your point of view is doing that and then doing dashboard i guess i still like further seems forever better i think it's the better incarnation given the fact that it has that technical music and can still be that catchy kind of thing um, yeah. I wonder what your take is on on that. Would what do you think is do you think it's better to to split and have dashboard there or or do you would you have preferred to see Chris stay with originally further seems for everyone they were going. Do you have a, a, they're, a they're thought two, there? Well, they're if I had a preference between the two then then further. Mm-hmm. You know, for the reasons that you're saying. At the same time uh, and to me, it's apples and oranges. Mm-hmm. You know, they're two different things. Yeah, obviously. And, and, and it's hard to argue with because I, I don't think further, if continued on, would have ever been as successful as Dashboard. So from Chris's point of view, he made the right choice. Yeah, I mean, 
further is is that indie band you know in the best sense you know just just uh just very unique and not really following a particular thing there's a perfection Mm -hmm. to in this raw inspiration that's going on and and it's amazing how all the things came together for for that particular a little bit more of moon is down here but um yeah i just think it's the perfect encapsulation of of technical and catchy and you're right it would be hard to imagine what this would be like if you didn't hear the vocals what you would think it really felt like yeah I'm sure people are familiar with that, but that's just too much. Here's an example of something I think is really funny. This is like the catchiest thing I've ever heard with the most absurdly technical things. It's just cheesy and technical at the same time. I think this is just such a funny moment from any record. The catchiest, cheesiest lyric possible. Yeah high note and then you do this under it <laughs> yeah back to a different key different right. time signature the, that long of a drum thing, thing to connect it and then just right back to where it was and they got in and out of that and reconnected it to the original tempo and key which is that's a, a hilarious thing to do is a quite a challenge and then to put those vocals over it just makes me laugh but with well, happiness chris blew me away during that and and particularly this one moment when we were doing the last song which i really love like i can't remember the name of it but um and so he hadn't completed everything we're in the middle of doing vocals and there's a couple guys i've worked with where they do this hold on man give me like 15 minutes and they go out, you know, leave the room. They come back in 15 minutes and they have these lyrics that are like, how did you even mm-hmm. think of this? You know, it's like the depth and the, you know, just the, the way it connects. And um, yeah, I, I very much remember that moment with him. That, that's uh, something else. And then, you know, if you listen to Dashboard by Contrast, it's good. Uh, you know, it really is. It's, he's good musically on his own. Anyway, but it's so weird thinking that I remember being disappointed with this. Like, oh, acoustic folk singer songwriter, come on, you know. But yeah, in time, I, I really wound up loving this record true. too. But it was very true, and and um, a lot of that to me, what I loved in doing that record with him was um, having that vocal delivery. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I loved it. What do you remember about the uh, little shift of gear, but what do you remember about doing the guitar, that acoustic guitar? How did that get recorded? What guitar was it? Well, at the time, and it was the same with the further record, I was recording out of my second floor apartment. Mm-hmm. And so I took a walk-in closet. I was set up in one bedroom, and then it was a two-bedroom place. The other bedroom, which was around the corner in the hallway, it had a walk-in closet, and I spent about two grand trying to decently soundproof it. You know, it was like a mini little studio. I raised the floor, however. So when you did guitar, you kind of were 
had to squeeze in there. So Chris had his, I think it was a Gibson guitar. And that sound is basically, there's a microphone, a, I think a Lawson, it's like a, a Neumann copy, mm-hmm. tube mic, and a, and a direct. Yeah, I know that Lawson mic. Is it this it, 251 or something like that? Um, I can't remember the name of it, but Sprinkle has I, one of those. The okay. Lawson tube mic, yeah. Yeah, it was like the first one he came out with, which was like a model of the, the U47. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that's what the vocals are. But it was, it was a mixture of that with the direct sound. Yeah, it's weird because the direct sound's in there and it sounds good, you know. That's sometimes hard to do or sometimes people don't like the direct sound. Um, it's hard to put your finger on, but that's one of my favorite acoustic recordings like that. But it's, you can hear the, the whatever, the, the, pickup in, the pickup being used in there mixed. Yeah, but it's, it's a, not very it, strong. It was a nice so. balance. It was a nice balance of both, and it worked for the for the uh, you know for the record. So, so the dashboard stuff now is the acoustic stuff, but also got really kick ass, you know, kind of a drum sound, and there's even more room to hear the drums. So that's one thing that, about this, and I want to talk about two thirty eight next. But one of the things that makes this so nice is you really have room to hear the real drum sounds, right? Which is so much strip- different than more aggressive music you know yeah yeah, because it's stripped down so you just have that you know you have that space kind of in there to hear the drums and everything a lot of your drums really uh, are similar sounding across different bands and and do you um, can do you have any idea why that is and in a a sense they, they remind me of a lot of drums from the period but I think they're they pretty much stand out. I was wondering if you th- have anything that you think ties ties those bands together. I mean, I've, further dashboard <laughs> two thirty eight uh, and some other stuff in there that is very similar in the way. The yeah. Well, you know what's interesting when you're saying that I I pretty much agree with you, except for the moon is down because I think the one thing that's tying a lot of the drum sounds together is that I like to mix the ambient the room mics in pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely, particularly with the ribbons and sugar, uh, record, mm-hmm. I really went for almost a bomb, you know, Zeppelin. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that compressed room mic sound and, and mixing that in. Um, but when I was hearing just now with the moon is down, it's a bit of a drier yep. sound. Well, the more aggressive the music, the more full, you don't have a choice. You know, yeah. there's not as much room for it, but that's what I, that's the thing about when I talk about two thirty eight, which, you know, I know people know this music that I've already played, but I don't think a lot of people even know 238. I'm not sure if they're, a, I'm sure they're not a big band. And unless you're older or from our, you know, specific scene, I don't think they're a widely known band. But man, right. man, I really recommend anybody check out the band 238 because I think yeah. they're one of the best bands ever. Yeah, that album is absolutely one of my favorites. So I'm, I'll roll, uh, regulate the chemicals here. Cool. Um, I'll play the whole song. We'll try and talk over it. I'll make sure it's not too loud. But um, this, and I like this one better than the one after it for some reason. A lot of my friends disagree. But this one, um, this song is so neat. The clean guitars on this album are incredible. But the most notable thing to me is how often they'll do something that's so empty. Where there's just right. a guitar over the, so ba- like the thing that happens later in this song. It's just, it's just bizarre that they would leave stuff so empty and have, have that in there but uh and i don't know this guys i've met chris before a couple of times but i, d- I don't know him know yeah. him that well but uh what can you what do you remember about doing those two, th- 238 records but, yeah well the first one and the second one had two different approaches 
And um, the first one wasn't to a click, and the second one was. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this album, no, I really do. If I was to pick between the two, it's this Hang on a second. I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing you and my sample at the same time. I was thinking we could talk over the whole song, but I'm having a little bit of trouble with it. I really wanted to play that one section. Um, One second. You hear the music still, right? Yes, I do. Okay. Let me turn it down for me. Okay. Hopefully that won't interfere. I'll turn it down a little bit for you, too. Anyway, say say that you just had to repeat what you just said. Well, the the first record was a much more, I guess, for lack of a better word, indie approach. Mm-hmm. We had ten days to do the record. Basically, awesome. we did that record in ten days, which I thought was you know as cool because you have to move. Mm-hmm. Did the drums to tape, no click, at, at another studio. Then we came Here's my back. Favorite part. Here we go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, that's just too cool. Right, just the bass. Uh-huh. It's just guitar. like, how could you resist not putting more there? And right. it's just so happy that, that it turned out that way. You couldn't, yeah. you know. Do you remember that? Like uh, wh- like how it was arrived at to not layer more stuff there or put a rhythm track or anything? It, it was just like it felt awesome. It was just that bass going. And uh, and I love the space that's in the record. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And then the prettiest part here with the clean, this clean guitar. Just want, and then, I don't know. Yeah. One of my favorite songs of all time. I'm excited to be able to listen to it with the person that recorded it. So any, anything else you remember about that, I'd love to hear. I don't well, have any just, great questions. Just that we had 10 days. There was no click. Those drums are triggered too. I'm using the... the they did not sound triggered. Right. And that was the thing is like just to take the time to... To get it to not do that, I, I'm trying to think. I couldn't have done all that triggering and stuff in that ten days, but I also worked insane hours mm-hmm. back then. Um, so, and let me think. What I loved about that record, it was the time too, as far as like the indie scene. Where if you listen to that, that record, there's songs that have four different parts mm-hmm. that never repeat, and that's the song. Yeah. You know, Definitely. there isn't really even a chorus. It just, it exactly. just moves. And my whole thing at the time in working with them is how does this feel? You know, it, and, and Chris wrote in a way that whole record has a perfection to it. So the whole thing was just to really execute it, you know? And so my, my thing in working with the guys was how do we get this recorded where it connects with what the, where they were at with writing it. Well, it's some, maybe it's something about the 10-day thing, meaning that you have to already know what's going on. You have to have already been in the room and played it a million times before you could possibly be, you know, to go into the studio knowing what your time budget is. So you have no, to... I don't think we did. Really? No, I, that, and that's, that's kind of a cool thing too. It's just, let's do it. Let's begin. Let's do it. And you just have to make and, a decision and, and you're, that's it. And you're, yeah, you're just going with it. You're working with the guys... You're, you're, you know, everyone is respecting each other and, mm-hmm. and excited about it. And, uh, and we're creating and it, it went very, very well. I mean, I really like, that's one of my favorite records, uh, as far as working with, with a band. Wow. 
That's, that's interesting to hear. So they just came in and worked out parts that weren't even there and did it in 10 days. Well, they had parts that, I mean, you know, they had a sense, but we worked. Yeah. I mean, they had parts. I might've thought of something. It was just moving along <laughs> and, uh, and it, and, and it, it's interesting because that is one of the few albums where it's like, yeah, this lead is going. And I remember really digging that. It's like all that's going on is drums and bass and this lead. And I also love the amp we used. We used a matchless. Mm-hmm. And uh, that particular amp just had such a beautiful, pure tone. Um, there's another song, Dana, uh, on there. And it's like that. And I love that's like one of my favorite guitar tones yeah it is that that one is, is really good there's some i mean just really amazing guitar stuff on there if you listen to it it's very very fun so i want to trace a little bit of the drums because those to me don't sound triggered at all um and it really captures again like i said time period and then as time goes on you have newer and newer more and more modern sounds and i want i'm curious your take on on the evolution of that kind of thing so I don't. I don't know if I have these in any kind of order or not. But you did Paramore. Let's see. What record do you think you did first? A Academy Is record or Paramore? Do you remember when those were? Those were right around the same time. Okay. Well, um, for in, in yeah, any case, here's very a close clip to each from other. Academy Is. This still reminds me of the same thing, but still tighter, punchier. Yes. Still here. So what what happened up to this point from what you're doing? Couple things on that. Well, of course we're to the click. The drummer uh, was a little weak on his hitting, mm-hmm. and we tracked that whole thing in three weeks. Mm-hmm. And when we were about two weeks into it, I said to, uh, it was John Janik from Fueled by Ramen, I was like, this album's amazing, John, and you got to let me mix this. Give me some more money, please, so I can mix this on an SSL. Mm-hmm. Don't let me, I don't want to do a computer mix with this stuff. Uh-huh. And so we actually went through quite a process of trying to find a, a good studio. And then that was the first real album that I mixed on an SSL, which was a really painful uh, process. <laughs> what was painful about it? Learn how to use it and do the automation I on it? Or no what? idea what I was doing, mm-hmm. and I just had to make it up. And I had to, I turned the record in like two days before Christmas on a Saturday that was like an hour before FedEx closed. And if I had missed that, they were going to lose like $30,000 of ads uh, that they had already done. Wow. Uh, and, and so there was all this pressure. Um, but yeah, so that record was mixed on the SSL and like a dirty SSL too. It was like a, a 79, one of the, one of the early SSLs and the converters were really grainy sounding and, it, it it got a, a particular sound, and all those drums are completely replaced mm-hmm. as well, um, and and that ended up to me. I, I liked how it came out. Well, that's punchy that and tighter, and still some more room. And then you get in this Paramore. Now there's even less space really to hear. And this sounds a little bit closer to what drums sound like. You know the next kind of. Well, phase. I'm not mixing. I'm not mixing this. And you didn't and, mix that one, okay? Right, right. And so that's Mike. That's green. probably the I'm big difference. To, yeah, yeah. So Mike was doing his thing, uh, and I'm. Tr- yeah, that is that is one of the songs that I did. I was just do, making sure. Do people that. know that that the guy that mixes the record can totally change all the sounds? <laughs> not all of them, but do, I don't right, know if people right. know that or not. Because I'm not even paying attention to all what all credits you have on mixing or not. But um, 
I don't know if people know that. Well, you can turn uh, you can turn in a record, and the mix if you want to, if the guy wants to, and you want him to, that's his style. The mixer can say, "Okay, see you later, drum sounds." If he wants, exactly. Oh yeah, he can totally. Yeah. Do you uh, do you like do you uh, get irritated if people do that to you like that? Do you think you could have? Do, do you like what happened to the drums then? If if they're not the way that you would have done it. Well, on that record, I I didn't spend a lot of time with them. Um, and, and cause I had other stuff going on. So they came in and, and, uh, I think we did like three songs and then, and then they went and, and did the rest with Mike. Well, that's what, that's why I pulled it, the clip, because I thought it sounded pretty, I was like, Oh, at some point he cer- certainly started doing different things drum wise. So that, that's why, cause you didn't mix it. They did on that particular yeah. record. Yeah, so that's, that's good to know that my ear caught something being different there. Right, but yeah. What about on under oath? Did you mix that or did JR mix that? J.R. McNeely. Okay. Well, how how do you think those drums turned out? I liked. Are they still your drum sound, or do you hear it more? Because J.R. doesn't replace everything. He adds a, just some stuff from what from what I know of his. He doesn't completely replace everything, but let's listen to this. Does those sound like your drums to you? Pretty much. The toms I know he he kept. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't replace those. We had a nice kind of tone on those mm-hmm. and I remember we used an AOT kit and uh, and a very small bass drum I don't know if it was like 14 it was like really small mm-hmm. or maybe it was a 20 that's what it is not a 14 a 20 um, and the snare was the general tone but I, I ne- I'm pretty sure he mixed something in with that sure but I think what JR was doing at least when we were he was doing some of our stuff around 2005 and 6 that's was, right yeah. he was doing like um he said he wouldn't say he, he had a just the sound of a snare it's a sample he had of a, of hitting the rim of the snare drum without yeah. touching the head that he would right. mix in really loud with the hit that the drummer did so you right. get it kind of like a rim shoddy thing without replacing it with some really slamming whole drum sample it was just the attack of the the snare drum the stick on the snare drum rim is what yeah. is what he was doing around that time um, but I like a lot of JR's mixes. But that Under Oath record, probably, I suppose that's the other one that people uh, reference a lot or probably had a lot of people come to you because of, huh? Yeah, definitely. And that definitely. one's gold. You have more than one. What else do you have that's gold? You have a couple of gold things, right? Dashboard and Under Oath. And, uh, and, and Paramore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that, I, I don't think that the Academy is, I don't think that record went gold. I, I, I think that was more like two to three hundred. Um, yeah, so that's about it offhand. Yeah, I remember when Under Oath was doing that record. We were in Florida for one of the first or second times, kind of going through Florida there. And you'd done the one the record of theirs before, I know. The Changing of Times, you did that one, right? Yeah. Um, and so we had come through this. So we knew them and played a couple of shows, and they were. It was before they made that record, so they were just, you know, some other band that we done some shows with at the time and they came to our show at the social we played the social and i think it was while they were in the studio with you and they came out to our show then and were telling us about it and what was going on and tim told me he said that um they were see if you remember this or if it's true or not i don't remember exactly he said something along the lines of you'd finished almost all the record and then 
y'all got some new guitar amp sound that was better. So you made Tim go back and replay all the guitars with the the, new, the better amp setting that you had found. <laughs> like you had wow. played a bunch of tracks and then you tweaked the amp a little bit more. And you're like, whoa, that sounds better than what we were doing you know, last week. And which, went which back record? and recorded a bunch of uh, guitars over just to get the new amp setting on it. Which, which record? On Chasing Safety. Oh, Chasing Safety. Mm-hmm. That might have been the case because I um, – they were the first band that I was recording at my house. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, and definitely a reason too is uh, even when Tim did his scratch tracks, he had his parts so down mm-hmm. that, that he just nailed stuff. So uh, I vaguely remember that. I'm pretty sure we did that. That will make sense if he had them so down that you're like, well, yeah, this sounds better. Be, so why don't you just re-knock yeah. them out? Yeah, yeah. yeah. His, his his guitar playing really is good. I had him on and we talked about it a little bit one time uh, on here. And people really in, enjoyed that getting to hear him talk about his playing. But he uh, he's very super deliberate. That's what you found with him that he just uh, real organized and just nailed his parts. They're all predetermined. That was a big thing that when mm-hmm. when he came in, uh, yeah, he was he was one of the most. Um, yeah, when, when we were doing those scratch tracks because they'd also worked with uh, Matt Goldman. Yeah, uh, that's and right. kind of went through pre-production. That's right. So, so went through that, and then the guys came in, um, and when we were doing those, you know, I remember as we were going through them, like that's freaking on and awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, we almost could have kept those; they were real tight. Yeah, and then uh, Gillespie's a lot of fun to track too, huh? Well, the thing with Aaron is that I think he takes the record for going through snares, and I think he went he went through anywhere between 11 and 13 <laughs> snare drums doing a nine song record mm-hmm. because there was one song that we didn't even have drums. Uh, and then the one song is like, uh, like a half a song, the last song on the record. So yeah, he was killing the snare. Yeah, we, uh, I did, I engineered the second almost record with Sprinkle and one of his worship albums. And so I've, I've worked with him two or three times in just recording, but he's a lot of fun. Um, He's a real happy. I mean, he really has a good time in the studio and doesn't overthink anything. I love that for somebody who's a good drummer, who just totally charged up and plays hard and lets it go. He's not even super particular. He's just like, you like that, you know what, you know, just lets it go and totally trusts his own play and like he's confident but not arrogant at all kind of thing. He just says, yeah, yeah, was that good enough? Okay, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's great. That that's cool. So yeah, I think that. Um, you know, I'm sure that's what people just love is that Under Oath record. I bet you get asked about it all the time, so I will try not to ask anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm actually, that's, uh, I'm fine with it. You can ask a few more questions. <laughs> um, no, I don't even think, I don't really think I have any. I, um, let's see, what else? Oh, yeah, I was I was still chasing down here the uh, difference in sound. So a band you did recently is, or in the, one of the later bands you've done is, I, I found it was Hands Like Houses. Yes. So by yes. this point, we've kind of come all the way to really a new era. Now this is real modern sounding stuff. Yeah. So same producer over time. And here's a clip from this. Um. This is so. I don't know the word for it, but I wouldn't have listened to this really identified or tagged you as the producer of it. So it sounds right. a good bit different than all the previous stuff there. Is this where you're at now, or how do you explain that so much of a difference if you in in style uh, across a decade or so? 
Well, let me ask you too. Do you have a song off the album they just released? I can. Tr- I don't. Not off. Not off. Oh, top okay. Hand. I can try to dig one up, but no, I don't think I can pull it up technically here. Got it. Got it. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, I happen to just be very proud of it too, and I actually made some upgrades to the studio. Mm-hmm. I'm basically always pushing to to keep growing and what evolving. is the new and, one called the new record i'll tell people to listen uh, it's to called it. dissonance dissonance by hands of houses is the new one and, and hands like houses. hands like houses and what yeah. uh what what sounds what do you think is on that one that sounds even different than this one how does it sound to you well the thing is those are two different the okay the the evolution of the band um so the record we were just listening to they had done a Another record, a really good record uh, with a guy, Cameron Mizell. Mm-hmm. And, but Cameron has a very particular style. And so they did that record and then they came to me and they said, you know, Cameron did some great stuff. But at the time, we didn't really know what we were going for him. We let Cameron do his thing. So that record was more about exploring and just wanting to do something that really felt true to them. And, and so we did that. And I happened to mix that. That is an in-the-box mix. Mm-hmm. Um. The latest record was more like, okay, we've got something here, and we know we have a very original sound, uh, but they did want to try to find something. They were a little more business-minded about it. That We wanted to do something that felt really true, but at the same time would be something that, that everyone would connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we did on, on that record. And so those two records definitely have two different sounds uh, to them. If somebody came to you now and said, we want to make a record that sounds like the moon is down or sounds like 238, would you and could you? Yes. Or do you think because, it's just different now? It wouldn't be the same. I don't to, think of, to because do I don't think in terms like that. Mm-hmm. The thing for me is that if, if I'm not, I'm my whole thing in working with a band is just working with the band to create something that, they they want to do and i'm trying to work with them to make something the goal for me is to make something that really authentically expresses what they want to express and hopefully for them is uh surpasses their expectation of you know it's like man this is not only what we wanted to create but this is better than yeah than i thought which is kind of a fine line it is i wonder how you approach this is a good producer question how do you treat tuning and editing and replacing heavy-handed things a lot of producers um or something i've noticed at least is the better producers do that and they almost always diminish it or hide it or don't not hide it but really don't draw attention to the fact of what they're doing to make the music sound better how do you come down on that i try to do that to make it Um, not obvious to the artist yeah right like very much in particular with uh with tuning Mm -hmm. Uh, i really really try to make sure that it that it feels natural. Feels um, natural, but I'm saying even from their point of view, because this is, I cannot tell you how many times I've talked to a band, and after being an engineer and producer and doing it, I talked to a band, and I was like, how was it working with so-and-so? And they go, oh, it was awesome. He didn't replace anything, didn't have to tune anything, didn't edit anything. <laughs> and I said, yeah, right. I mean, I can right, hear right. it all day long. When they show, right, then right, they right. show me the record, like, okay, whatever. Right, right. Like, but, they, but the band genuinely believes that is because the producer oftentimes will de-emphasize, uh, and in fact, the better the producer typically will de-emphasize what it is that they do because on the other hand, it's really amateur for a, somebody recording a band to go, 
I'm going to fix this. Watch this. I, you were way off here. I fixed you there. Listen how much right, I quantized right. these drums. That's what an amateur recorder producer does. And sure, the contrast, sure. the, the, the best producers, they go, oh, yeah, just my little touch, little touch of something. Yeah. <laughs> and then well, the artist doesn't even really know that how much the, the producer's really done there. Yeah. Well, part of it, too, is, um, you know, how, how good of a musician mm-hmm. is the guy playing, you know? So I'm not going one way or another. I'm, I'm not really trying to actively hide anything. I'm just basically doing my thing, but I'm not, you know, flaunting it. That's yeah, it's, I mean, if you stupid. do, it can really be a bummer. But the psychology, I think the interesting thing is about the psychology of the guy recording it because yeah. you want the band to feel like you're valuable and doing something useful. So you almost yeah. want to show them your tricks or something. Mm-hmm. But that only makes them feel like, wait, don't mess with my stuff. Or do you not think I'm good? You know, it can be really counterproductive to yeah, overtech I, with the band there. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to just get the things that I can't do, which is get the emotion mm-hmm. and get the, you know, intensity or the, yeah, you know, what are they meaning with the song or, or with the drummer to, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. What stuff do you, what is, what do you, uh, I'm glad to hear you feel like you're still recording bands that you like and love and are committed to doing it. But compared to a jaded person, you, you don't, which you don't seem to be at all, but what are the things that you just don't like about the business and recording when you're doing it or the, the either the business or the, the job itself, the things that are a real drag? Well, one of the things, because I'm always trying to improve things, is the technical curve uh, of things not working, mm-hmm. you know, while you're trying to, you know, uh, I've yet to work with a computer that I'm not pushing mm-hmm. to where it is too much for it. Amazing, given how much, theoretically and supposedly, right. computers are better, but then, then well, the Pro Tools just winds up hogging it all, I guess, with the way they design their new software every time or something. I don't yeah. really know how that works. Well, like, to, uh, you know, like the hands like houses I, I did at 96 K mm-hmm. and, and so that alone, you know, kind of push things. Um, you know what? It's weird. Like business wise, um, say the question one more time. Just so what, I can, just, what are the things that you dislike about the, about the job that you have, whether it be business, oh the business or the recording or the, that's a good answer. The technical stuff that, that can bother you. What are the stuff when you're just like, this is what, if I was ever going to quit this, this is what pushed me over the edge. I don't think I can take it anymore because of. Right. Let me see. Well, the technical can be very trying mm-hmm. sometimes uh, because I'm really trying to think of the most freak, anything that will make it sound better because I hate in-the-box mixing. I hate the closed-in, almost one-dimensional sound, mm-hmm. and, and I'm trying to have it. You know, So that is a heavy one for me. Uh, Band wise, and I said this on, on, on another podcast is, is the band being prepared, yeah. you know, uh, taking the time putting, like if I'm really putting, you know, myself into something, uh, for, for the band to be doing the same mm-hmm. and one, and a couple times in my life, I have dealt with a musician where it's like, you know, dude, come on, you know, uh-huh. why are you playing? You know, like, like you, you're coming, you guys are coming to me. And, and you're, because it kind of becomes a weight that they're putting on you if they don't have, you mean somebody that's either not good or doesn't care. Uh, yeah. Not even owning it, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, you know, we'll, we'll be like kind of saying excuses about stuff 
other than, man, I need to work on my, I have a lot of guys who are like, wow, I didn't know, you know, cause there's a lot of bands where it's like, oh, we're going to fly through our parts or whatever. And everything's going to go quick. And I'm like, okay, but it's probably not, you know, <laughs> but Hey, and so they come in and it's like an educational experience, mm-hmm. you know, but occasionally I've gotten a guy where it's like, dude, you know, um, you know, let me play that part. <laughs> yeah. And maybe just do it when he, after he leaves, fix it up. I've been in that situation a few times where I just, after yeah. they left, just do it or whatever. It depends on the band, of course. But yeah. um, the the thing that gets me the most, I cannot believe, is when you care more about the bass part than the bass player, for instance. Like, you, mm. you know, like I've been there talking to say, well, okay, but what is that chord? Or why would you, why don't you try this note? Or okay. And then almost we're like, I'm excited about it. And he, and he just looks at me like, Okay, whatever. Wow. What you, no, I, mean, I you know, fortunately I have not really have had the displeasure of playing with I that. I attribute it almost to people that want to be in a band more than they care about music. Is that yeah. is the attitude there that that mm-hmm. what you said reminded me of, which is like it's on you or whatever. Like, yeah, I mean I'm the bass player or whatever, but you just I mean, part of it's that maybe they respect me and say, Well, what do you think I should do? But it's almost this air for some people like it's just, just whatever. I'm just here to do my parts, but my job is to like yeah. be on stage and meet people and look, and <laughs> get, get girls chicks. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, that's, I, you know, the, the only other thing, and it's not, and it's not certainly not something where it's like, Oh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's just that when I work with a band and maybe, you know, we find that we're not totally on the same page mm-hmm. and certain things that I'm bringing to the table, they're like, well, you know, and then I have to kind of, uh, well, one, check my ego and then look at the big picture and be like, what are these guys trying to do? And let's, you know, let's do that. And, and fortunately, there's never really been something where, um, you know, I've been disgusted with, yeah. <laughs> with where they want to go. You know, I mean, there's always that thing where it's like, oh, you know, I, I'm, you know, might even feel a little hurt or something. But that's just, you know, that's the way it goes, mm-hmm. you know. You know what the other one is? It's the opposite of the one I said before. It's the one where somebody isn't very good, but they care a ton and try to insert themselves in everything. I don't know if that's insecurity, you know. It's like a a certain musician isn't as good as everybody else, so he has to weigh in on everything and is just unbelievably picky about everything that you do. You get that one. Let me me ask you if you've you've had this. Have you ever had a band where I, I find sometimes there's the one guy where every idea he has, nobody relates to. Mm-hmm. He just keeps coming up with these ideas, and it's just basically the whole thing of being like, no, we don't want to do that. Well, the, my theory, Not just me, but everyone in the band. But it's, no, <laughs> but it's nothing personal. It's probably that his ideas aren't that good, which the reason he has so many ideas, my theory on that would be because he's insecure in the first place. So mm-hmm. he's trying to insert himself and parrot ideas that sound like ideas that people with actual talent would have. <laughs> but he well, that, that's not any good and so he thinks he has to make up for that by being involved and then the other guys have to go oh, mate, and kind of I mean it's not like they're trying to be mean to the to whoever that is but they just kind of have to yeah we could try that and, you, and everybody knows you're going to waste 10 minutes and then get it mm. back to where it was in the first place but you have uh, to be nice I, I hear you there I you know the thing you're pointing to is as a as a producer is all the psychology mm-hmm. that's going on and and even getting a sense of everybody's personality and there's I've refined a speech for the guys before they even come in, you know, and one of the big things is I want you guys to sit as a band and talk about what you're looking to create mm-hmm. because um, sometimes you get in and, and not everyone's trying to create the same thing. 
Uh, and then you do get guys that their attitude or where they're coming from with things uh, is is not always about entirely with that that artistic, you know, uh, expression. There's a little bit of ego going on, and and you got to kind of try to work that out. What do you uh, What do you hope for? Well, first of all, do you have anything else? You don't have anything else you're hoping to, to accomplish professionally other than make records and do that at whatever capacity? Do you have anything else you would like to accomplish in life? Yeah, I do. And, and, and right now it hasn't really, like, I do have a sense that I'm not really going to be, and this is just my, my internal sense at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, if it happens, it happens, but I, I've kind of gone on that my whole career anyway. And that is, I don't think that I'm really going to be doing this for the rest of my life. Okay. Maybe I will because I do enjoy working with bands, but I have a, I have a sense that there's some way for me to do stuff and it's with, with my music somehow. Okay. And it's not necessarily that I go and make a big hit or however, I mean, there's many ways of creating music and, and, I do have a strong uh, sense of creativity in terms of writing music, and it's completely different than the scene. It, it's mm-hmm. it's got nothing to do. It's almost new age, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, and so that's just something I want to. I feel like that's something that I'm going to be trying to find a way uh, with. That's interesting. Uh, if that's answering the question, no, it that's you know? definitely answers the question. That's exactly where I'm going. Is that, and so what? What is uh, when you think about legacy? What do you hope for in ter- in terms of that? Like after you're gone, even what, does that even matter to you? Well, you know what? Yes and no, because I'm not thinking I've got to you know my legacy. I almost kind of think that stuff at a certain point. It's doesn't mean a whole lot, even in the greatest guys that I guess if it leaves a legacy that's that's uh, that's inspiring to other people, then in that, yes. And and so if there is a legacy and I'm not like consciously, you know, building that, but I like to try to do something with excellence Mm -hmm. and not try to half ass something and, and try to do the best job I can do. So when people reach out and say, dude, I love what you did on that record. And it's inspired me, you know, with, with the moon is down and with the under oath, there were guys were like, that's the record that that's why I got into music, you know, where it's that kind of thing. It's like, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And so if I could try to do that type of excellence and if it goes in that direction, then great. Well, this is a question I try to ask to frame that even more is would you trade more ability, more uh, success, more uh, functional achieving, more achievement of things that you want to do personally. Would you trade that, you know, have five more records like that done, complete your solo stuff, you know, be able to make all this music and connect with a bunch of people with your your own things. But when you die, those projects live on, but your name is erased from it would you take that like it, the thing still lived yeah. there but nobody knows it was you yeah. who, who made it i mean your family remembers who you are but other than that professionally your your web pages are all scraped yeah you'd take I'd that. have no problem with it <laughs> yeah because it's kind of a joke <laughs> it's kind of funny you know because i'm not even around at that point i mean it's just 
like I say, if it's something where someone goes, man, that dude inspired me, just like our great, the, the people that inspired us, you know, uh-huh. uh, the people that moved us, um, you know, like I really, and I want to get into his stuff more, but David, David Bowie, when he passed, had a real big impact on me. And as I, as I listened to him, I'm like, man, this guy was really cool and what he was about and, but not like he was trying to, he was just honoring something inside himself. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing for me. I'm, I'm, I'm honoring something inside myself. And if I can encourage someone else to do the same, whether it's about me or not, I don't really care. I like that so, answer. I think I gravitate towards something along those lines. Some people say they react like, wait, you shouldn't be trying for more success or abilities in this life. Like that's the selfish thing. You know, but I, I disagree. I think if you're pursuing something for what you want to do, it's just what you're trying to do, not how not how anybody else defines it or says you're successful or whatever. To me, the highest I, goal is functionally to be able to do what I'm trying to do today better or more of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, so there's an action, but where you're coming from is everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's almost to me like saying money is the root of all evil. Um on one end, yes, you could be that, but then there's people who have a lot of money who are doing some amazing things, mm-hmm. uh, who are who are very clear on on what they're being driven by, uh, and to use it for something. Yeah. Um, even people who are stars, you know, I look at a guy like Brad Pitt, and when I see like, oh, he's been doing stuff over in in Africa and and using his star power to 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 do something good, um, then that's great stuff. Interesting. Well, James, I appreciate your time, and I've in, enjoyed getting to talk to you, somebody that um, I've listened to and thought about a good bit, and I find you real easy to talk to. So thank you for, for doing this with me today. Very much enjoyed it, man. So uh, my pleasure. All right. Nice to meet you. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.